Welcome to this week's sermon from the Willoughby United Methodist Church. Sometimes, sometimes when we read that story or we hear that story, we think about Joseph being the chosen one, Joseph being this perfect person, Joseph being sinless and blameless. But as we look at the Greek text in uh, chapter 37, verse, verse, not the Greek, but the Hebrew, I'm sorry, um, chapter 37, verse, verse 2, I believe it is, it says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, the, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, in the Hebrew text, that uh, bad report, that, that action of bringing that report, well, it, it, as I, I did the research on it and was looking at it, it, it kind of revealed that Joseph wasn't, wasn't quite as sinless and blameless as we sometimes think of he is. Because the Hebrew text kind of says that Joseph was a tattletale, and in the story that he was telling, in the report he was giving, he kind of added some fluff for effect. In other words, he stretched the truth, right? For emphasis added. And that's what really got him in trouble with his brothers. His brothers knew that he wasn't quite telling the whole truth. And on top of that, his father favored him. Joseph, we know, was the favored son. And and in fact... Uh, his father made him a special coat. You remember the coat, the coat of many colors? Like, uh, I think that's where they got the uh, uh, bedazzled look from. You know what I'm saying? Like the fancy, I can only imagine. So anyway, like, so that's, that sets up the story of Joseph that he's, he's exaggerating the truth, which gets him in trouble, and then he's found favor in his father. And ironically, if you think about it, if, if you go back, like his father Jacob originally deceived his own father to receive the blessing instead of his brother. And now it's coming full circle, right? But you can look at that up on your own. Getting back to, to Joseph. So Joseph is sending him, or Jacob is sending Joseph out to, to check on his brothers. And his brothers have, they're about 60 miles away, five to six days uh, hike away. And, and so Jacob sends him out to go check up on his brothers. And by now, his brothers are already upset with him because he exaggerated the truth. And, they see, and he's already t- told his brothers about the dream that God put on his heart, not one but two, twice, that you know, eventually they're going to bow down before him. And I don't know about you, but I'm an only child, but I can only imagine if, if I were to have siblings and tell them, yeah, one day you'll bow down before me, that probably wouldn't sit well with them, right? And what happens is they, they see Joseph coming in the distance. And they, before Joseph even gets there, they start to plot. They start to come up with this plan that they're going to kill Joseph. Now, what's our text for today, right? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. And I believe in a naive 17-year-old Joseph. He was trying to do that. 
He was trying to deliver a message that God put on his heart and it was rejected in his own home. And then he went to check on and, and, and love, love on his brothers. And what happens is, well, he got a beat down, right? They beat him up and threw him into a well and left him for dead. And they, were, they really wanted to kill him, but Reuben stepped up and said, no, we can't, we can't shed any blood here. But what we can do is we can tear, tear apart that coat, spill blood on it, and exaggerate our own story and tell Dad that he was eaten by wild animals, right? Now, it takes a lot to follow and answer a call from God. But imagine taking a beating for it and being left for dead. I don't know about you, but I think in my own mind, I, I don't know if I would try to live out that calling anymore, right? But in the pit, we see that first mark of a Methodist, loving God with your heart, mind, and soul, because Joseph was still praising God. Even when he was sold into slavery, the next step, he was praising God. He, go, he is taken to Egypt and he is bought by Potiphar, right? And here's where I can prove that he was loving God with his heart, mind, and soul. Because the text tells us that in, as a servant, he started out in the, the bottom rung, probably scrubbing toilets, right? And taking out the trash. And in a short time, he became valued into the eyes of Potiphar. So much so that he had free reign of the house, right? To me, that tells me he had a servant's heart and he loved God with his heart, mind, and soul. And I'm going to give you a little story to share with you about why I think that's true. So we've had cats in our house for for years. And my wife has always been the saint that has cleaned the kitty litter because with cats there comes kitty litter and and those treasures that come along with it, right? And so when she became pregnant with our son, um, the doctor told me, your wife can't clean the kitty litter anymore. you got to do that. I did not love God with my heart, mind, and soul <laughs> as I was blaming the cat for all the litter that I had to scoop out. I would let it go for a day or two, you know, and, and then my wife would lovingly remind me of my duties and responsibilities, and I would, okay, <laughs> cursing the cat all along the way. But there was something happened during that time. Maybe it was something a pastor said or a conviction that came over me, but I realized that I wasn't honoring God the way I was behaving, Right? And something in my heart changed. And I began, I believe I began to love God with my heart, mind, and soul because I began to enjoy taking pride in cleaning out the treasures found in a litter box. Right? And I think that's what, that's the story of Joseph. He took pride into even the lowliest servant job that he was given. 
He loved God with his heart, mind, and soul, no matter what he was doing. Right? And it paid dividends. He was elevated to the, to the, to the top of the rank in the house. And when we start loving God with our heart, mind, and soul, you know, I think attacks can happen. Joseph was attacked by his brothers, sold into slavery, placed in a prominent position, and then drawn to to the nature and beauty of Joseph was Potiphar's wife. And thus comes the false accusation. And as a result, Potiphar throws him in jail. Now think about this for a moment. Joseph's been beaten and left for dead, but he's still loving God with his heart, mind, and soul. Joseph is sold into slavery, but he's still loving God with his heart, mind, and soul. Joseph is now in prison, yet he's still loving God with his heart, mind, and soul. And as a result... He becomes a prominent, trusted figure by the warden of the prison. He becomes the overseer for the warden. And as a result, he's placed in a position to where he, he interprets a couple dreams for a, for a cupbearer and a baker. And they come true. And a couple years later, he gets summoned before the pharaoh. Right? And because he reveals his heart, mind, and soul in the way of love for God, he speaks truth to the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh, in that moment, believes him and gives him a signet ring and and places him like in charge of all Egypt. And for 14 years, he manages the Pharaoh's estate, right? Seven years of bounty and then seven years of famine. All while loving God with his heart, mind, and soul. And it's not till the end of that season that the family reunion happens, right? Now, there's a part of humanity that comes out in Joseph in the sense that his first reaction is to take revenge on his brother's. But he chooses not to. He chooses to love God with his heart, mind, and soul. He chooses to forgive. And what happens is the best family reunion and forgiveness story we see next to Jesus. I believe that's the mark of a Methodist. The first mark of loving God with your heart, mind, and soul. So that God can work through you in any situation and in anything that you are doing. I think, I think Jesus has perfected it in, in the night that he was betrayed. And he's praying on, the, on that rock in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood. And he says this, loving God with his heart, mind, and soul. Not my will be done, but yours. Didn't know that was there. So I, so I, think, I think that's the first defining mark of a Methodist. 
to love God with your heart, mind, and soul. The love that unites us is the very love that defines us. Love is the distinguishing and foundational mark of a Methodist, and love should define our character. So I ask you this question. I leave you with this question today. What character is defining you today? Is it love? Or is it something else? Would you pray with me? A gracious and loving God, in just two simple verses, in just a few simple words, you create this profound complexity of understanding what it means for us to follow you. You lay down the foundation and the priority of our lives to love you with our heart, mind, and soul. And I would pray that we would be able to be molded by you, to be able to trust in you, to allow that that character of love to define us, to refine us, to make our light shine true for the sake of loving Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon and please accept our invitation to join us in worship at the Willoughby United Methodist Church in downtown Willoughby. Our Sunday worship times are at 8 o'clock and 10.30 a.m. with fellowship and Sunday school classes between services. We welcome your presence and look forward to meeting you. Have a wonderful week. Background music has been provided by Ben Sound.